so he is here today. Um, he told me yesterday that he was as nervous as a one-eyed cat watching at nine rat, rat holes. So um, that, that probably tells you as much as you need to know. Um, before I, I, I introduce him, let me give you a disclaimer. This is the, the man who's been in my life for almost 20 years now, so uh, I probably have heard these stories more than once. Jim Glisson. Uh, has heard these stories more than once, probably, but they're always good stories to hear. So, um, he is—he's um, been known through his life by many names, such as Biscuit Boy, Rooster, Junior, Showpiece, The Knee, The Dover Dandy, and Coach. Um, he's also the only person I know who can go to a sporting event and come home with new best friends. I mean, literally, the kind of friends that invite you to come spend the weekend with them. And he comes home and he says, I met this nicest couple and they live in, in, in Kentucky and they have tickets to the Cincinnati Reds, I mean, to the, yeah, Cincinnati Reds game and they want us to come. Now, I wouldn't know their names, much less have an invitation to their house, you know. So we go. We go and, and, and um, we get there, and I said, uh, do you remember what they look like? And he said, I was just thinking about that. I don't know whether I do or not. Like, well, great. We're in, here we are in Cincinnati, and we don't even know who we're looking for. So about that time, they called us, and they said, are you here? And we said, yes. And they said, okay, it's, um, uh, we're, we're right over here. And he looks, he said, that's them right there. So that was 12 years ago. He, it, there's not a week that goes by that he doesn't talk to the Hertzenbergs in, in Kentucky. Um, same thing happened. We went to a, a ball game in Atlanta, went to an Atlanta Braves game with, with Jim and Jackie. It rained. We went into a VIP area. We started talking to a man and his son. And um, it's not a day that goes by that we don't hear from Andrew Cornett from Atlanta either. So um, good people, all of them. But I wouldn't have known who they were, but Bailey does. Um, he's going to tell us a lot today. You may look and say, there's a whole row of people up here that don't look like they belong in the 60 and over class. But, <laughs> but these are some of the neatest people you'll ever meet right here. So um, Bailey has been, ah, here comes a couple of more in. Um, Bailey has been involved with the track team at Lipscomb for many years. And um, again, he's one of those who studies the list before they ever come to school. He knows all about them and uh, can have a conversation with any of them. He comes home and he says, oh, so-and-so said something. I'm like, hey, I don't think I know who that is. So uh, I could do a much better job of um, remembering things like Bailey does. So today we're going to do it a little different in that um, in order to keep him on track maybe, uh, then I'm going to ask some questions and we'll go from there. So, you ready? Ready. <laughs> Can't wait. If I'd have known this many people coming, we'd charge admission. That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay, tell us about your childhood and growing up in Big Rock. By the way, where is Big Rock, Tennessee? Big Rock is about 80 miles from here, northwest. Clarksville, Dover, land between the lakes. Uh, grew up in its Stewart Montgomery County line. That's between Clarksville and Dover. If you remember Dover, Dover was very famous from the World Civil War. In 19 February of 62, the unions were coming up the river and um, they were trying to stop them from coming up the river to go to Nashville. And the unions won and 
They fought for three days. Nathan Bedford Horace was there, if you know the history. He was there, and they ran him out of town, and he left, slipped out at night with 500 horsemen. So that's Dover. Uh, we lived in on a farm on Sheridan Montgomery County line, as I said. But in 1941, with the U.S. government and all their wisdom, took 141,000 acres of land. They took all the farmland in Tennessee and Kentucky, so they ran my dad and grandfather out of their land. Most, most land back then was 640 acres, a section. And they, they took the land. We moved to Big Rock and built a little house in, um, when I was five, six years old. Big Rock is a small town. Back in the 30s and 40s, well, Big Rock was famous for tobacco. And if not, many, not many people with a population of 150 have the book written about their hometown. <laughs> it, this guy named John Elliott, it took him 30 years to compile this book. So it's a lot about my family and history of Big Rock, what's happening, uh, about the churches. There were three churches in Big Rock, Baptist Church, Methodist Church, and Church of Christ. You didn't go to any of them. My mother, my mother was baptized, she was a Methodist, was baptized when I was like five or six years old in the creek. My dad was maybe a little, little hoodlum, and he was baptized again. Uh, so In the river by Carlisle. Creek, the state in the creek, creek, yeah. Excuse me. Anyway, so that was a history. Not much to do in Big Rock except three things. You went to church, you never missed. You worked hard. And I learned how to work because my grandfather lived across the road from us. He was a big farmer, tobacco farmer. He raised 36 acres of tobacco with a mule. And, and he gave me pigs and cows, and I got my start uh, in, in the farming because of him. Uh, and, and like I said, work, play ball, go to church. We didn't miss. Our whole life centered around family unit. We did everything as a family, uh, and Brother Coffin here can tell you about that. But anyway, what is it to do in Big Rock? Nothing. Boy, a big night out for me as a senior, junior, senior high school is wash the car, drive down to the dairy dip, drive around on Saturday night, and hope you see somebody. <laughs> And they really can't date anybody. Mama don't want me to date anybody because our old Methodists are Baptists. They didn't, uh, <laughs> we had only four Church of Christ, two sisters, one girl I didn't want to date, and another girl dated my best friend to play basketball with. If I knew if I dated her, he never would pass me the ball. <laughs> <laughs> and that was far more important. That was very important. Like that. They always said they were never shot that I didn't enjoy. But, but it was a good it was a good life. Oh, I mean, you, you you fantasize a lot. You ride a tractor at night, and I was driving a tractor six seven years old, driving that tractor and fantasizing to being a big cowboy. I want to be a cowboy. I want to own, I want to own horses. I want to run the cattle. I just want to be a big farmer and a coach. And I want to play in the state tournament. This is my goals, and I worked at it. So, like I said, we didn't miss church. Went to church. And went to every little gospel meeting in the summer. You know, every Joiner's Chapel, Ligate, Oakwood, they all have services, we'd all go. And that was our social life during the summer. 
Then, in elementary school, we had a pretty good little basketball team. Fifth, sixth grade, seventh grade, pretty good team. One night, we finally got a gym. We used to shoot layups, put down the cinders, and that was a layup. We could keep us out of the mud. So we're going to play the fathers. Well, my dad, as some of you know, was he was Perry especially, he was quite a basketball player, quite an athlete. So we played the fathers. He wore me out. <laughs> I thought I was pretty good. I got four. My dad gets 16. I can't even go to the store because they're making fun of me that the old man beat me. I didn't speak to him for two days. And so finally I broke down. I said, now, why did you do me that way? He said, one, I just want to show you I still got it. And two, you got to work harder. So we had our own goals. We had our own uh, pitching machine. We had everything in the backyard. And uh, so, but going back a little bit further, I got to tell you another story about religion. I saw my mom and dad being baptized. I held a gospel meeting every day for five days behind the garage under a tree. I was seven years old. <laughs> I had an audience of two. My favorite server, Brenda, my sister, and my dog, Troubles. <laughs> half collie, half chow. And we preached, I preached, and the last night of the gospel meeting, we needed some people to go come forward to be baptized. <laughs> so I can't baptize Brenda, so I decided I'm gonna get my ducks. I had, had ducks over at the pond. So I got me a number three wash tub, put it in the backyard, filled it up with half the water. We had, a, we had a well 96 feet deep that never went dry. It was cold as ice. It must have been a springs and it was cold. So I put, put it up in the tub, water in the tub, went over to the pond, which was hot, and got five ducks. Well, I baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. I baptized us. I baptized five people that night. And I look around, the ducks are dying. They done passed out. That shock of the cold water. And, you know, they, they just couldn't move. Now I started squalling. Oh, Lord, please save these ducks. I won't, I'll never do anything bad the rest of my life. I'll be so good, so good. Well, it lasted about five minutes, but anyway. So what, what are you going to do? Well, my mother always could save us, so I took, got me a towel and put the ducks in the towel. and took them inside as I prayed. She opened the oven door and turned it on 100 degrees and laid the towel right on the oven door, and then five minutes, those ducks came back alive. So that's my first experience, that power of prayer. <laughs> I saw, I knew God saved me. Then he taught me another lesson a little bit later. Now I want to be a cowboy. And I watched Robert Rough and Ready on TV. That's old Western. Well, Mama had brought baby Connie, my baby sister Connie, home. 
So Brenda was going to lead the horse. You were six? Seven. You were seven. Brenda was five. Brenda was five. My trusted hand. Yes. She's going to lead the horse underneath the stable, and I'm going to jump out. He's about 12 foot tall. I'm going to jump out, like I said, in the westerns and land on my horse. I don't know why I thought of that. So I jumped out. I missed the horse. Broke my arm. It's about this much longer than the other. I said, oh, ain't nothing wrong with that. Anyway, that, that, so I taught me a lesson. You don't miss church and you pray. So that was at a very young, very young age. That's enough of these stories. But I guess you want to talk about the family? Yeah. My family? Well, I guess this is the most proud of my family. My mother went, she said, the 10th grade education. My dad finished high school, but he probably went to school to play bas- basketball. Every, I have pictures of it in 1936, Big Rock team. He was in the middle of holding the ball. That's all he wanted to do, baseball, basketball, whatever. And But, you know, you read about the women in the Bible, the influence they have on their children. Well, I think my mom is the same way. I have a younger sister, Connie, who has three children. She's married to a doctor. Met him at Waverly Belmont, the old Waverly Belmont Church. And he became a... Uh, a knee surgeon, and uh, they have three children. Lanny is architect. Tinsley is a board certified is to operate on hearts for adults. Now she's getting qualified to do pediatric surgery, one of the top in the country to be, do that. She's at Pittsburgh Hospital, and she's married to Daniel, who does acquisition of the chemical. Then Luke, Luke is a uh, teaching. English in South Korea. Uh, so that's Connie and her bunch. Connie sort of amassed her fortune in Wilmington for the last 30 years, and she bought a plantation. They live in a plantation in Holly Grove, Mississippi, uh, which is uh, 1854 house redone, and they live there. Then my other sister, Brenda, who was two years younger than me, the mother of Candace, the president of Love School, and Craig. Craig is a special needs. Uh, Craig's 51 years old. Uh, he was born with oxygen deprivation when he was long, umbilical cord around his throat. He has, lives in a home, little apartment there in Clarksville. He has a little job. Uh, his claim, what he likes to do most of all is sit in Bailey's truck. You can pick him up, he sits in Bailey's truck, puts my hat on, pretend like he's driving, drinks half of my water, and we listen to George Jones. <laughs> George Jones, George Jones. Does all. So he'll listen to about five songs. You ready to go in? No, more George Jones. So we listen. Here we are, traveling down the road, Craig driving, listening to George Jones. Sitting that, in the driveway. Huh? Sitting in the driveway. Sitting in the driveway. <laughs> but that's, that's my family. We're, we're proud of them. But it, it was known when we were born or raised, we were going to college. I don't know why. My mother just said, you're going to college. Now, my mother's side of the family, they all went to college. One of them was a judge, one of them was a special ed teacher and director, one of them was the Boy Scouts. But on my dad's side, nobody went to college. <coughs> one, one cousin went to college, the rest of them never went. So it was, it was meant to us to go, I guess. I always said we, when we were born, we had Lipscomb diapers. Uh, <laughs> but I, I play, like I said, I played basketball in Dover, 
we got to go to the state tournament. Uh, wasn't really highly recruited. Austin people wanted me to come there. My dad wanted me to go there. Mom was going to go to Lipscomb. Uh, the guy from Murray State came to watch me play, and I scored four points and fouled out at halftime. He didn't come back. <laughs> so, so it was doom, I guess. But uh, when I came to Lipscomb, I, I couldn't take the pound on my knee. I, I, between my sophomore and junior year, they removed my kneecap. Uh, and I could scissor. Most of you don't know what scissor is and high jumping, but you could, like you jump a fence, that's what we did. So I, I had to teach myself how to roll. So I built me a pit in the backyard, so we smoked tobacco, cured it in the barn, so I got a load of sawdust, dropped it off in the backyard, put it, put it in some bag, went to the shop, made me some sanders, took a fishing pole, and um, that was my sanders. So I worked all summer and could scissor a lot more than I could roll, and I was just disgusted. Then one day in the fall, I came back to school, <clears throat> and uh, a light went on. Uh, somewhere, and I learned how to roll, and was was state champion there in college, and got to go to the national meet and choked. Uh, <laughs> didn't do too well. Finished tenth out of about 35, but uh, that's another story there. They offered me a job my senior year. Wait, wait, wait. What? Y'all know what scissor means? Huh? I know. Okay. It is where you you jump, and one leg you sit, your one leg goes over, and then the other. It's not the back flip. That, which Bailey says is the, the cheating way of doing it. We don't talk about my high jumping bugger right <laughs> no, okay. Don't be critical of her. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm not, not, never a Bella. You, never don't, a Bella. No, don't. Just, so you think about it, you jumped 6'10? 6'8. 6'8, okay. I, I wanted 6'10, but, but I jumped against several Olympic, Olympic guys back then. Uh, seven feet, 7'2 seven was world, you'd be a world champion back then. I grew up in a little church called Sycamore Flat Church of Christ. In 1959, we built a church. We built a church there, but they didn't put any bathrooms in the church. And then, then I met this guy in college, and I recommended him to be a preacher, to speak to my family, speak to the church. Well, he's sitting right there, pure coffin. If you want to roll about Big Rock, Sycamore Flat, and some of the churches, I have a distributor. You may buy this book from him. I get 10% <laughs> anything is sold in this class. But he, he pointed out some things about my dad. My dad was dad of to met Perry. And Perry, he didn't, he didn't like Brother Heflin. He didn't, Perry didn't want to call him Bailey. So Perry named him B.S. That was a good term. Man. Bailey Senior. Bailey Senior. Here is. Here is, my dad led to singing. He didn't know a note one, but he, he loved to sing, and he'd get up, and he, he'd get though and thou mixed up, and people would just follow along with him, and, and uh, he was quite a character. My dad was quite a character. And here's a songbook that Perry gave him. Great song leader. But Perry, in his book, he points out a lot of things about Lipscomb and about Sycamore Flat Church of Christ. If you had to go to the bathroom, you went next door to Mr. Lovelace's house. He had a key to his house. So eventually, they got smart enough to put a bathroom in. It's typical little country church. You got men this sudden here. You got the women here, small children here, and teenagers here. That's everybody, no classroom, just, just where we met. Perry baptized my sister Connie. He preached for a year and a half. 
he got the call to go to a bigger, better place, and he left Sycamore Flat and moved up to the major leagues. So, what else? Oh. My rambling. No, you're doing okay, I think. Yeah, I got to oh. tell you about, about coaching. Yes. <clears throat> they offered me a job. How you, how you recruited? They, they offered me a job to, when, I, when I was a senior, Fesser Boyce, most of you know Fesser, that around Lipscomb. A wonderful man, wonderful human being, uh, offered me a job and said, we'll pay for your way to go to school. And I said, nah, I'll sell a cow to pay my own way. But I met a guy named Dr. Roy Pangle. Roy Pangle was the smartest man I've ever known. Uh, I was his student assistant, great assistant. Uh, I went to lunch with him every day. We wrote several studies. Uh, I got all my classwork done. I was going to get my Ph.D., and he died of Hodgkin's disease at 37. So uh, if I'd known Paulette back then, she could have written it for me. But, uh, but I just said, well, I'm going to coach. So I started this way we were recruited for track back in my day. You would wait for Mrs. Dillingham to call you from the registrar's office and said, this boy is from Tampa Robinson High School. He, he runs track. I can't wait to get on the phone. Well, it's like getting a letter from home with a little money in it from your mama. You know, you, he came. His name Bo Burnell was Catholic when he came. Then there was a guy named Steve Barron from Leesburg, Florida. He got, wrote in. Like, so I followed up all of these. But still, I wasn't getting getting many places. And then Dean Craig, some of you know Dean Craig. Oh, you people don't know any of these people. But Dean Craig was sort of an ally to me. He said, i tell you what you need to do. He said, we have some money in the Marshall Keeble Scholarship. I said, okay. It's for ministerial students. I said, boy, they can minister on the track, can't they? Said, yeah. <laughs> So I recruited the first two African-Americans, black, from Miami, Jackson High School in Miami, Florida, Lewis Allen and James T. Uh, my guys met them underneath the bleachers down at, at Florida Relays, and I followed up on them. I called Lewis every night, he said. I told his mother we were going to take care of him, and he came to Lipscomb. He had a lot of offers to go other places, but he came to Lipscomb, and that was a start. At the same year, I said, well, we, should have, we need to get a basketball player. There was a guy named Bruce Bowers at Cumberland High School. Cumberland High School's in Bordeaux. She's got enough, right? <laughs> Everybody else is free to go. You know? But Bruce, so I went to watch Bruce play. Bruce be kind, Bruce sort of portly. He was fat. He was 6'1", had the widest period I've ever bottom that I'd ever seen. But he could jump. He could run. I went back to see him play. Same thing. He'd get about 25 points. He'd get down low under the post. Nobody could get him. So I go back and give this report. And Coach Dugan and Coach Morris thought I lost my mind. I said, Coach, this guy can play. Well, fast forward many years, Bruce and I are still friends. He, he, uh, he's in the top 15 in scoring Lipscomb without a three-point shot. He was alumnus of the year at Lipscomb, loved Lipscomb. And it's not every week goes by that we don't talk. and not a place where I go that he don't buy my dinner or lunch. He said, well, he was, said 
Without me, he didn't know where he'd be. Well, the reason, the real truth is, he had a scholarship offer to play football at TSU. He would have been attacked and done if it had two tall Jones, your cowboy. <laughs> so he, he chose to play basketball instead. But Bruce is a great guy. You need, some of you already met him. And, uh, so that was recruit. Then, then one of my greatest recruiting thing I thought was ever going to happen. There's a guy named Mike Crockett from, from Florida. He wrote in. He could run 48 and a quarter. Boy, I got to get him. Don't have any money in my budget. So I called some business people. They said, go down and see Tennessee Securities. Doyle, Lloyd, and Charles Call. A lot of them know Doyle. So I go down, give him a pitch. Lloyd takes me to lunch. And I'm at Doyle. And he said, yeah, I'm going to give you the $200. So, boy, I mean, I'm happy. I'm going to get this guy. So I sent the boy a ticket. He came up. I whined and dined him. I took him down to the track at night because it was so bad. I didn't want to see how bad our track was. But anyway, uh, took him to the Nashville 420 car race, got him in Darrell Walton's car, met Junior Johnson. I mean, I, I did, did everything, right? So Sunday morning, I'm taking him back to the airport. Mike, you read the sign? I never signed anybody before in my life, but I figure a handshake was good enough for me. He said, now, Coach, I talked to my girlfriend last night, and I'm going to stay in Florida, go to junior college, and get married. I wanted to stop the car <laughs> and throw him out on Interstate 40. So that was my first recruit to send money, and he didn't show. Okay, uh, you can't go on past that until you tell about Wesley and Tyrone. This is Paulette's favorite story. You know, when I, when I recruited the blacks, they told me three things. And Perry, if you read his book, if you buy his book, uh, <laughs> he, he points out how bad it was in the 70s. I really didn't have any trouble. Uh, the only thing I had, they told me three things. One, he's got to be a good person. We don't want any black power signs on the door and causing riots and all this kind of stuff in 68, 67, 68. And two, a good student. And three, he's a good athlete. So Lewis, James, Bruce. and Bruce were, they were that caliber. But then I had this great idea. I had some great distance runners. I had Andy Russell, transfer from UT, uh, had uh, Harold Green, I had some good guys. I told the dean if I had a couple more people, I believe I could get the top five in the AI cross country. He said, okay. I said, there's two brothers in Toledo, Ohio, named Wesley and Tyrone Brock. The Brock brother, one, two in the state of Ohio in cross country. I got them. And they were good runners. But unfortunately, the bad part is they scored four on the ACT combined, and they didn't last too long. <laughs> Wesley, I, I, we had a meeting on campus, and he ran terrible. I'm just chewing him good, really good. They said, Coach, he just ran downtown for six miles and joined the Army. 
He ran back six miles to the campus, and he ran a six-mile race. He'd run 18 miles without breakfast in about a three-hour period. Well, he drops out in December. He didn't make it to the national. We get a picture of Wesley, his platoon, but Wesley had hand grenades all over him. That he wanted to blow up stuff, and that's what happened to Wesley. He's probably a general now, uh, but Tyrone lasted a year, so you could, she likes that story. I don't really like it. I try to hide it up. The combined ACT of four. <laughs> you get two if you write your name. <laughs> but uh, how did I meet? And I told you how I met Doyle. Doyle was a very prominent in my life. Doyle introduced me to uh, to Agape. I raised money for Agape, and then uh, then uh, I adopted my son through Agape. He played baseball with Coach Dugan, uh, so I was real fond of Agape. They told it'd be five years, and we got it within six months. Uh, so old Doyle got a lot. I know he was very prominent here at the church, uh, and uh, he, he was a good man. He was a good man to me, and he really helped me. By working with Doyle, uh, I was fortunate enough to, in a few, less than a year, to be able to buy a home, uh, and, which I probably never had if I'd stayed at Lipscomb, to what I wanted. What next? What's your work history? Huh? Your work history. Work history. Done a lot of things. I'm old, but uh, I grew up, like I said, farming, trading, buying cattle. I want to be a pinhooker. That's another word. But in nineteen in the mid seventies, I was working with Doyle and him, uh, and made some money. Then I was going through a divorce, and I went to Chicago to trade on the options exchange. The options exchange just started in nineteen seventy four. The seats on the CBOE option exchange was $10,000 a piece. A friend of mine bought four. He said, why don't you just come get away, commute to Chicago, and I'll give you a seat on the exchange, you started trading. Well, I went, and my specialty was Eastman Kodak, General Motors, and Walt Disney. I could turn my back to the screen and give you 50 quotes, uh, expiration date, when they expired, my mind works that way with numbers. So, but when in the air going to work, my dad had a massive heart attack at 61. He sat on the back porch one night getting ready to go to church on a Sunday, and he died of a heart attack. I was going through a divorce. It was final. I was under the most stressful job. The job, the stress level on trading on the floor, it's completely changed now. It's all electronic. But stress level is like an airplane controller at the airport. It's high risk, high reward, but stressful. Uh, I just couldn't take it anymore. I was burnt out. Lost all my money. Don't have any money. We had a lumber business and a pallet business on the farm. My mom tried to run it, and I was getting calls from my mom every day. Guys didn't show up to work. The machine won't work. So we sold it. So now I don't have any money, and what am I going to do? Well, I go. I decided that I might as well get my real estate license. So I went and took the test without taking the class and passed. Uh, so I was sort of bored. But one day I sold a guy a house, and he was in the oil and gas business. He said, "Boy, you know real estate. 
said, why don't you just uh, take a look at, at this? Do a multi-list on farm and home with oil and gas properties. Oil and gas, if you mirror oil and gas, it's a what they call overthrust belt, come down from Pennsylvania through Tennessee and Kentucky, up in East Tennessee, Berksville, Kentucky, uh, Overton County, Tennessee. But so I said, well, I'll, I'll do that. I found a guy in Oklahoma who had started this company and he, I went to see him. He said, for $5,000, I will teach you everything I know. So he said, but you got to get me to the, on behind the stage at Grand Ole Opry. I said, I can do that. So he came and we, we held a seminar up in East Tennessee and charged people $100 to come. And we had 40 people came. So I got most of my money back. Had one in West Tennessee, her stopping ground. Uh, only two showed up. So they were raised cotton down there. Didn't want to buy all. But so I, I traveled around and these real estate agents would bring me listings. It was a bunch of garbage. They, they didn't know what they were doing, neither did I. So what I did was put little packets together, about 5,000 acres of lease the land, and advertised it and sold it to Marshall Exploration out of Marshall, Texas. And they said, we want to, we want to lease land in Tennessee and Kentucky. So I said, okay, if you come to Tennessee and Kentucky, I get to do everything you do here, I'm, on, I'm in charge. I'll lease the land, we'll run the title, so forth. So they bought it. So a year and a half later, we did 150,000 acres of land in Tennessee. It was fun for me. You ride my old in my car, go out and talk to farmers about farming, and you know, and it was fun. It, it really, really wasn't a job. It was just like like fun riding out of the countryside, all up in East Tennessee, Salina, Overton, Jackson County. So then I started putting drill sites together for a company called Commonwealth Petroleum, and I made some money there. And I had some money burned in my pocket, and a guy told me, he said, you need to go see Petro Lewis. Petro Lewis out of Houston, Texas, they were going broke. They are going to bankruptcy. So I go down there. I don't, I'm not a petroleum engineer. I know nothing about that. I know about cows and dogs and stuff, but I know nothing about petroleum engineers. I go down, I'm completely lost. All right. You're good. Then I go. Then the next time I go, I talk to the secretary. She said a guy named Jerry Lindenmuth is in charge of a lot of settling all this. Well, Jerry's parents just so happened his dad retired, retired army at Fort Campbell, so we hit it off. And he said, I, he said, I'm, I'm gonna lose my job. We're all quitting. I mean, getting fired or closing out the business. So we we took all his maps and all his books upstairs is his house. And we looked, started looking at it. I said, oh, I think we ought to buy this, this, and this. It was the education I learned from my grandpa Heflin. Because my grandpa Heflin said, what you do, you see a guy, a bunch of cows out here in the field, you buy the whole round. You don't buy the fat ones. You don't buy the skinny, you buy them all. You sell off the fat ones get most of your money back, and you keep the skinny ones, and you fatten them up, and that's where you make your money. I was, I was Paul Heflin 101. And also he said, you can feed 10 hogs as easy as you can one. He said, if you got to put effort to feed this one hog, why don't you feed 10? So that was my thinking. 
sometime you might be getting me in trouble. But anyway, we put this deal together. We started looking at it. We came into a valuation of $9 million. We could borrow it for $3 million. So I found a bank in Cleveland, Ohio, the Huntington Bank of Cleveland, Ohio, that would loan money. So we go see them. The guy said, yeah, I'll do it. Well, we put it together. He called. He said, I got to have a down payment of 250000 Okay, I'll take it to you. I flew up. Night coming back, I was admitted to the hospital. I had diverticulitis, and they kept me in the hospital. But I got out, got out of the hospital room and coached my junior pro basketball team. That's another thing. Anyway, so then I checked myself back in. I had to go back in yesterday, another 250000 So we got a half a million at stake. If we don't close the deal, we lose it all. Well, we about lost it all. The bank decided with their wisdom, I'm in this Jerome Lewis's office, the chairman of the board of, of Petro Lewis, head of, on Life magazine, signing my name a thousand times on leases. The bank called, we can't do it. We can't do it. We're not going to do it. Well, I'm almost, so when we found Pioneer Western, another Fortune 500 company in Tampa, Florida, we fly down there and we sell those guys $2 million worth to get to be at closing. So we did Petro Lewis. So it went from disaster to a, to a windfall. The day we signed the leases, we got a, and closed the deal, we got a check for, it's called in suspense in the oil business. If a lot of royalty checks go out to landowners, if they don't get it, it goes in suspense. They gave us a check for 275000 We didn't know it was coming, which was a godsend. And then we decided we needed to go to Vail. Jerry was a skier. Well, I can't ski a lick. But anyway, we sit around the campfire, and I said, Jerry, what, what, what have you always wanted? He said, I want a Corvette T-top. Okay, I wrote him a check. What do you want? It? Man, I, I want a racehorse. I want a horse. I used to run him as a kid. I want a racehorse. I want a thoroughbred. He wrote me a check. Well, it didn't turn out so well. My horse that I bought, first race under my silks, broke down at the second turn at Ellis Park on a Sunday afternoon. Well, they laughed at me. All these young petroleum engineers laughed at me. Two weeks later, Jerry called me. Somebody sold his Corvette and burned it. <laughs> so that's how I got in the horse business. That's another story. But anyway, then I had, I had some money burning in my pocket. And one day I took a guy from Commonwealth Petroleum out to lunch. He was struggling. Uh, their company had drilled, spent $30 million up at East Tennessee, didn't get enough oil to put in their truck. So he, I took him to lunch and we came down the hill at Barry's Chapel Road, come down the hill. Overlooking the valley there was this 300-acre farm, two ponds, ranch-type home, and a big barn. I always wanted I remember seeing that from college. I'd drive down there all the time, say, I would like to own that farm. On a, on a, on a tree, a sign about this big said, Farm for Sale. Okay. 
So I drive up. I said, David, let's check this out. I drive up, knock on the door. A guy named Carl Smith owned the property. Carl Smith, if you way go, you my age way back when. Carl Smith's on the Grand Ole Opry. He's saying, "Hey, Joe, that was one of his top hits." Uh, and he said, "The frost is on the pumpkin." You remember that one? That was old, old. Well, Carl was married to June Carter Cash, and Carlene Carter is Carl and June's daughter. They were divorced after about two years, and he married Goldie Hill. Goldie Hill was on the opera. In 1953, Goldie Hill was number one artist in the female artist for all these guys, for Little Wren and all these other people. Goldie Hill was the one who was famous. She did, you know, Perry Como had a song, Let the Stars Get in Your Eyes. She said, he said, don't let the stars get in your eyes. She said, let the stars get in your eyes. It came number one hit. And then she followed it up with it. I'm looking back to see if you were looking back at me. <laughs> so they were, they, were, they, were, they were married. And I said, Mr. Smith, this farm for sale? He said, yeah. You got to hurry, right? You got to hurry. Anyway, he said, yeah. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. It's a Friday afternoon. I won't buy your farm. I'll give you $300,000 today. And you finance 60000 for the next 10 years at 8%. He said, Goldie, put on a chicken. We just sold the farm. <laughs> so we go down, the, we go down, sign it. I give him a check. We sign it. Well, God must have been with me because in the next 30 days, a Saturn announced was coming and American Airlines. Land went from 3,000 acres to 10,000. So what are you going to do with it? So I divided it up to 45-acre tracks. So it's kind of in living in the country. Uh, Carl... Want, want to do all he wanted to do now was have cutting horses. Cutting horses was what you, in Texas they used cattle, but it's now they changed the name to reining. They have a big championship in Vegas. Taylor Sheridan, the guy that created Yellowstone in 1923, uh, has a million dollar contest every year in Vegas. And one couple got third. They were members of the church in Illinois, and he's an elder of the church, young couple, really nice. And I haven't reached out to them, but I, I'm going to, is to see his operation. So now what are you going to do with it? i got to raise some money to get the roads and water and pay off the debt. So I was told I should go see Buddy Bivens. Mr. Bivens, I know him. Well, I'd been in the office of two, two chairmen of the board, Petrolus, of Fortune 500 companies. Fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. But Buddy Bivens impressed me more than anybody. Dressed immaculate. I'm going there in my old jeans and work clothes. See, I, I felt, I didn't feel intimidated. I felt at all. And this lady worked for him for years and years. But he was a wonderful man. He said, I'll tell you what to do. You're going to have an open house. If you bring me 10 signed contracts, with $10,000 check, I'll do, I think I'll do the deal. He did the deal. I got 12. Two of them sort of wishy. But the two, two of them were solid, and I, I pre-sold it. He loaned me the money. We paid him off in less than a year, and now it's history. We sold the lots about 150000 back in 85. There's now one for sale for 749000 Anyway, 
So that's that's work. Then I've done a lot of construction. I don't know what. All right, we're out of time, but real quick, a lot of y'all have seen that over the last three years or so that Bailey has gone from <coughs> running track to walking with the cane. So tell us what your health condition is. This is not a pity parker, but four years ago, I was diagnosed with a disease called amyloidosis, A-M-Y-L-O-I-D-S-I-S. Now, some of you may have seen this on some TV medical shows or some, some in books talking about amyloidosis. Amyloidosis is a, no cure for amyloidosis. It's a weird disease. It affects every part of your body, your kidneys, your heart, your balance. Uh, I guess three years ago, I started getting, a, I got a, two years ago, two and a half, I got a, started getting a pill from Pfizer. Pfizer, it was discovered in England and finally the USDA approved it. I take a pill a day from, called Vendamax from Pfizer. It's cost $55,000 every 90 days, but I'm in a grant that took care of that. Then about two and a half years ago, I was, I'm in a blind study uh, clinical trial that I go in every two to three weeks and get an infusion. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, cure you. It just makes you have a better quality of life. Uh, I'm facing a really tough time now because my kidney function is about gone. If you read back, I have some fancy name for it, but most of you have a kidney function of about 60, which is good. Well, fi 15, you're dead. You're in kidney failure. Yeah. Mine is 18. But I only have one kidney. Uh, it was one kidney was removed several years ago. So the last two times that we went to the doctor, it wasn't pretty. Uh, discussing dialysis and things like that, which I hate to even think about it. But, I, you know, so say prayer for me, and especially her. When I mean to Paulette, I blame it on Amy, A-M-Y. Uh, my twin, my twin sister. Uh, uh, but amyloidosis. He'll say that was that wasn't me. That was Amy made me do that. So. It it's, it just affects your whole system, uh, and you progressively get worse every day. You fight it. You exercise. Try to keep it off. But you know, I guess I'm still alive because of one lady named Dr. Rebecca Hong. A uh, little four foot ten Oriental at Vanderbilt. She's wonderful. She's our friend. Uh, she promises to keep me alive to 85. I hope to see you, you guys graduate. Uh, so I just say a prayer for me and face with Paulette. I have a question or a comment. I've had your name connected to a Hall of Fame all these years. Do we not know something about that? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I was under NAIA, okay, not NCAA. Listen, I really appreciate you coming, especially you kids. Please don't close on a good note. That's right. That's right. Hang around and meet some of these. These guys, one, he's from Bluebell, Pennsylvania. That's Isaiah. Nathan's from Atlanta. Michaela is from Winter Park. Saxon's from South Carolina. Bella's from Indianapolis. Washington, parts unknown. 
Renee Lee and Wetzel. He came all the way from South Africa to hear this. Devante and, and, and Kendall just graduated. She's working out here. She's running track. And Domante's a senior and now he's graduating, he's working on a master's. Masters. And I really appreciate your time. Okay.